Mike Kirk. We're talking West Side Story. We're talking, yeah, this is a classic. The original film came out in 1961. It has been 60 years since the original film came out. It has been 65, 64, 65 years since the musical debuted. Uh, so this is this is long removed. This movie, it's you know we were just talking about box office re- relating to Spider Man. This movie stunk it up at the box office. Mm-hmm. Only ten million, and it did not have a streaming release as well. You know, like that's around what In the Heights did, and In the Heights was also on HBO Max. So pretty shocking box office performance. And we can we can maybe get into that whenever you know if we have time at the end. But we saw it. We're ready to talk about it. Kirk, you're on synopsis. Go for it whenever you're ready. Well, I have some notes for my synopsis right here, sir, because this is too important of of a movie of a film to not have notes. Like I'm on a weekend update, mm-hmm. and this is my my, my moment. <clears throat> West Side Story, 2021, ladies and gentlemen, two households. Both alike in dignity, in fair Upper West Side Manhattan in New York City, where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. West Side Story 2021. We have two street gangs, if you will. Uh, One gang is primarily and actually completely Puerto Rican, a gang led by Bernardo, their team, the Sharks. Versus a white gang led by a gentleman named Riff, their team, the Jets. Two gangs, and they all fight over turf. In this film, we get to see more of a specific um, kind of uh, racial bashing, if you will, uh, done by the Jets. So it's it's mostly turf based still, but man, there is some there is some hate, uh, some some uh, some privilege going on from the Jets, which is a great added tone uh, to this, uh, spe- specifically for the tone of this movie that really catapults us into an easy understanding versus turf wars which is very difficult to understand when there's no drugs involved like west side story so i t- i really love that in this movie um but what blossoms out of this is over to my left or right depending on how i mirrored we see tony and maria uh one from the jets team and one from the sharks maria the sister of a shark bernardo their leader and they fall in love by happenstance at the dance and because of this it also tears apart uh, what they're trying to rebuild. Uh, they're trying to connect these two these two ways of life, and nothing can tear apart their love uh, more than two strongly opposing groups of men that hate each other. And there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack there. So let's get into it. That's right. I mean, it's it's uh, you know you you read the 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 prologue there. It's for all intents and purposes. Romeo and Juliet. You know, if you if you have not seen the original, we had in our theater some people who had definitely not seen the original, and were shocked and appalled by the ending. And I mean shocked and appalled. Like they were, they. <laughs> it was actually pretty distracting, Kirk. Can I be honest? Like it was, it was intense. Chino comes like if you haven't if you haven't figured it out by now, it doesn't end well. Similar to Romeo and Juliet, right. Um, but Chino comes out to shoot Tony in the back, which like we were all expecting, having seen the original and knowing that it's Romeo and Juliet. And the right. two other people in the theater go, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like it was so <laughs> dramatic. Um, and I was like, 
I was like, okay, let's break this down because I want to make sure that I'm not being a pretentious jerk and being like, you haven't seen West Side Story. <laughs> but if you told somebody, anybody, hey, I'm going to see this movie. It's about two families or, or two, you know, warring uh, groups of people mm-hmm. who dislike each other and a girl from one group and a guy from the other group fall in love. And then there's a fight between the two and some people die. You would go, Oh, that's Romeo and Juliet. And that's, ex- and I would say, no, it's West side story, but that's exactly what happens in this movie. So I feel like if you've gotten 95% of the way through West side story and haven't figured out <laughs> that at least Tony is going to die and maybe Tony and Maria, Right. I can't help you. Like I, I feel like that is, <laughs> that has to be very obvious. Am I just a jerk? I don't, I, I don't know. I need somebody to tell me if I'm a jerk. No, I, I just want to, you know, talk to their teachers, and if they're have not introduced uh, Romeo and Juliet to them, like what a shame. Uh, the, you and if you even haven't read Romeo and Juliet, you've seen all of it in any kind oh, of kids show. You know show. it. You know They've it. Pretended to be them. You've heard it. It's like. The fact that you don't understand, you don't know, is just shocking. But yes, distracting is a great word. It was uh, laughable because they shouted, po- literally pointing, you know, Leo DiCaprio <laughs> once upon a time in Hollywood, yes. pointing at the screen. Oh no! <laughs> Ansel goes down, gets shot like eight times by Chino, oh, and man. they were devastated. For- they were. a very long time. <laughs> All I could think about afterwards was like, I wish those people were in my family. Because it would be great to buy Christmas presents for them. They would be floored by anything that comes their way. They'd never <laughs> see it coming. Or like surprise parties, you know, like it really would be quite easy to to get a good reaction out of them because they they did not see this coming from a mile away in broad daylight. Like it really so it really snuck up on them. Um okay. I promise we're gonna get into the review. Last caveat. Um I am in love with the original movie. It was, it was Oscar yes. Best Picture movie, 1961. Natalie Wood, Rita Moreno, you know, star-studded cast, Robert Wise, the director. Ten Academy Award-type um, film, Best Picture winner. Love it. I've watched it so many times. I'm obsessed with it. So we'll see how that impacts my score. But I did feel like in this, in the interest of full disclosure, I should state that before we go into this. So maybe mm-hmm. it will give my my score some weight or less weight, depending on where it ends. So will it hold weight or hold water? Will it hold weight or water <laughs> or Sounds both? Like a fun game idea for the future. <laughs> All right, Kirk, let's get into it. I got to know who is your Oscar going to for West side story. This what came as a shock going into this movie, but it was clearly the answer uh, within five minutes of watching this. My Oscar goes to miss Maria. Uh, the actress who plays Maria, her name is Rachel Zegler, who Mr. Steven Spielberg, if you've heard of him, he has claimed that she is the best Maria he has ever seen. That is maybe the greatest compliment any um, any actor should uh, should strive for. And he's um, been watching this musical since he was 10 years old. So right. He's seen a lot of them. It's pretty impressive, pretty impressive. And, you know, sometimes you get into these musicals and you say, oh, great. Well, Jennifer Hudson is in Cats. Well, of course, she's going to be my favorite person to hear sing and (laughs) act and everything. Um, But when this girl comes on the screen, it's not just her voice, because that would be very easy. She is transcending this character in a way that 
I've never seen. I've seen I've seen the original many times. I've seen it on uh, the big Fox Theater stage from very up close. I have seen uh, this now, and I, I've seen countless people sing the songs from West Side Story and musical theater senior projects and reviews and off Broadway and odd. It's just this girl is electrifying. I use that word a lot, but this really, really does uh, is meaningful this time. The rest of them are pointless, but Rachel Zegler, <laughs> not only can she uh, just absolutely destroy all of these songs with just effortless effort, she is acting her heart out. She is be- becoming this character um, through and through. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if she traveled uh, from the past and or she was cryogenically frozen and she was the original idea of having as Maria. I mean, every moment, every beat, she is on it. She is so superior to all of her other cast members in every scene. You can cannot look away from her and she can do no wrong in this film. So maybe it's because she's just that good. Maybe it's the confidence boost that Steven Spielberg said she is the best Maria he's ever seen. Either way, she wins every time for me. Yeah, I mean, you said it, Kirk. No-brainer. It's a no-brainer. It's uh, Rachel Zegler's my pick, too. Um, wow, wow, wow. I, I, I mean, was I'm speechless now. Still, still stumbling over my words. Like, literally, it was shocking how good she was. And to the point where, like, you see her do so, a lot of spoken lines before she sings. And when she sings, you fall out of your chair. Like, literally looked over at Kirk and my sister and was like, holy cow, is this an insane talent that we are watching right now. And this is her motion, major motion picture debut as an actor. And oh my gosh, I like that definitely enhances it, right? So like that should be said. That enhances it because you've never seen this person as any other character. So there's no way to like see her as not Maria because it's the only context you know her in. But this performance was totally undeniably insane and, and just really, really well done. She's without doubt my front runner for best actress at the Oscars. I was astonished and shocked by how good she was. And here's the thing, Kirk, I've mentioned this before and you can feel it when an actor is just totally like top class, they make other people better. Every person in this cast, when they were acting opposite Rachel Zegler, was elevated to another level that they had not achieved elsewhere in the film. Like she was, she was doing some LeBron James stuff. Like make make everybody around you really good because she is so electric and just totally uninhibited. You know, she has, she does not hold back even the slightest bit, and it's just she is she is the character. She like she was. Maria and it was without debate it, it was insane and I'm amazed and cannot wait to watch it again because I thought she was so good and she's going to be a household name very 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 soon all right Kirk you're muted <laughs> this I, feel is like like on, I feel like I'm at work episode. <laughs> I feel like I'm at work on one of our team's calls like hey you're muted <laughs> This is, you know, I'm 32 now, and he, here You're I go. You're old, man. I'm so old. What, what I, what I can compare this to? The only thing I can think of is her, her groundbreaking debut is Emmy Rossum uh, 
did the film version of Phantom of the Opera with Gerard Butler, mm, mm-hmm. and she was just out of this world. You watch that performance today, and it still blows your mind. Now, Emmy Rossum had been acting in some other performances. She was in some some Disney Channel original movies, some DCOM, some shows, and some other random uh, films, and she gets into Phantom of the Opera, and I think shortly after that, then she landed the shameless role, which she is just now wrapping up. But her voice is just as powerful as this one, just perfectly trained, um, perfectly understood and committed to the role that was laid in front of them. It's just, she has such a big career. I mean, we already know she's cast as Snow White in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. She's also in the Shazam. She's in the Shazam movie that's coming out too. Right. So West Side Story is your first movie ever. Then you're in a DC sequel, Shazam, which was one of the best of the DC films, which is hard to say. And then you're in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, like as Snow White. Like, come on. This girl's awesome. Bravo. Incredible performance. Um, Let's move on to Scene Stealer. Big cast, lots of iconic roles, lots of new names coming into this cast. But I want to know who uh, who took home your Scene Stealer, Kirk. I have to clarify my winner here in Scene Stealer because a lot of time we wa- we waver on, you know, Scene Stealer can sometimes be our best actor, uh, which is easy to do because they can easily encom- encapsulate both of those, like a best supporting actor and like, oh my gosh, that, that janitor mopping the stage was so great. He's my Scene Stealer, right? I have to give, I'm going to do like a sub, a sub here just to say that Ansel Egort won my best supporting actor, but he was not my scene stealer. He was fantastic, but my scene stealer has to go to the actor who played Chino, which is Josh Andres Rivera. He was part of the Sharks. He was a uh, kind of a confidant to Maria. And you talked about how, how she elevated everyone else's performances when they were with her, including Ansel's, who is a very seasoned on-screen person. And you get the Chino in this in this film, in this iteration of West Side Story, I cannot tell you, I don't even remember from the original movies, like the weight of Chino's role um, or, or it would just wasn't as memorable to me. This, this actor, holy cow. And he is not as fresh, if you will, uh, as Rachel Zegler, but he is still very new uh, to, to our eyes, to the film and TV scene. He really, really captured me, and he didn't have all that much screen time. And you hear his name a couple of times, he disappears, and then he comes to the forefront hard. And he knew that he had to make those moments count. He knew that they had to be calculated. He knew the arc was so specific from from the like six times you see him on screen. And wow, was he impressive. I mean... Yeah, Rachel Zegler gun to his face. Are there any more bullets, Chino? And he is just devastated, um, afraid, and also in the same breath of of him just looking at her, saying, "I had to do it," with no words. And that is why he's my scene stealer. I love it. Yeah, I, I love what they did with Chino in this movie in general. Like you said, Kirk. Like in in the first film, and and in general with the musical. Like I, I've never seen it on stage, but. You don't think of Chino as like a big character. He doesn't get a song. He's not, you know, he's really not. Um, he, he's very central to the plot because there's a lot of stuff that revolves around it, but he doesn't get the time of day in the show. And 
they, you know, Steven Spielberg took this opportunity to say, let's, let's learn a little bit about Chino because this guy goes on a very interesting journey in this musical and uh, they had the right guy for the job. So I think it's a, I think it's a good call, Kirk. My scene stealer, I'm going with Miss Ariana DeBose who played Anita because my, oh my, did she have enormous shoes to fill with Rita Moreno in this cast as Valentina, which was a new role that they created, which I loved, by the way. Um, Rita Moreno's performance at, you know, as Anita in 1961's version of this film is, is without doubt one of the most iconic performances of all time. Academy Award-winning performance, just totally iconic and, and sticks in your brain, and I, I can see it in my head right now. I've seen the movie so many times. I, I just love that version of Anita. So for Ariana DeBose to come in and take this role, and, and you know, it is a role where you would say this is this sets somebody up for success to be a scene stealer because she's a very flamboyant personality, loud, in your face. She's going to make her opinions heard. She's going to say her piece. She's strong. She's, you know, opinionated. She's going to get what she wants to say across, right? Um, so it gives you the chance to do that, but you have to be you know, similar to Rachel Zegler, how, how she actually performed in this film, you have to be uninhibited. You have to lean into it all the way. And anything less than that is not going to be good enough. And even if you do that, on top of it, you have to be a really, really gifted actor to pull it off and to capture all the nuances, all the different things going on in Anita's head. And Ariana DeBose did that because her character goes on an insane journey from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And... She has this, you know, at the end, this really complex relationship with Maria, who is still in love with Tony, even after he ha is responsible for the death of her brother, Bernardo, who is Anita's, you know, partner. And watching Ariana work through those emotions in an unspoken way, in a spoken way, you know, the way that she flipped back and forth between Spanish and English in a way that just made sense for what was going on. I, I thought it was a really excellent performance and to be able, again, to be able to fill Rita, Rita Moreno's shoes uh, adequately, or even, you know, I would say this is well above adequate, uh, really well done, really, really well done. So she did a great job. That was such a hard category because, it you know, was. you also had, okay, Ansel obviously was a contender, but also uh, Brian Darcy James as Officer Krupke. I mean, really just did a great job. Um, your boy has been in some, some of the biggest films in recent history including you know best picture spotlight um and this was just a really fun way to see him uh from his his broadway roots to see he's a really silly guy debuted something rotten you know uh debuted shrek the 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 original role of shrek the musical and to see him as officer krupke pretty exciting pretty exciting yeah and you know like david alvarez he's he's a, a broadway yeah. stalwart he you know a billy elliott <laughs> uh, yes actor was bernardo really good performance from him really good performance from mike face who uh originated uh the role of oh what's his name jerry connor. on connor on dear evan yep. dear evan Hamil Hamil or dear evan hansen Ooh. dear evan hamilton kirk <laughs> that's a good one hey. that'll be our award-winning musical <laughs> dear evan hamilton yeah that'll be good uh <laughs> But he originated that role and he played Riff in this film and was, I thought, really good. And a really interesting kind of fresh take on Riff as a character too. Indeed. So yeah, lots of options, lots of options. But 
I think we made some solid choices, Kirk. I'm just going to say it. I think ours are the best. And uh, if any of them, especially when you're a new actor, you probably have more time uh, to come on a podcast like ours. Sure. Just come on over. If you Doors happen open. to see your team do some SEO and they find us, come on over. We'd be happy to have you. Have you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's move we'll into to speak better on that episode that we have you. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. it would have to be better than now, but it's getting late, Kirk. We're struggling. <laughs> uh, let's get into the production. I want to talk showstopper and then director shoes, but let's start with showstopper. What did Mr. Spielberg do that really knocked your socks off, Kirk? What was it? Specifically, the song sequence, Cool. This Ooh, is. Yes. Such a good sequence uh, the, in the original, in the brought in the actual show, in the original movie, and I loved how different it was than any other thing in the movie uh, to to all the other adaptations. This was especially a wonderful because when you when you think of the original, they're on the stage and they've they've got their knives, they've got the gun, and there's some really stylistic. Uh, characteristics from that era of the 1950s and 60s that are like just like ingrained in the show and i felt like they were able to keep the essence of that with the background and setting of that but really make it make sense for this tone of the movie and for audiences in 2021 i mean is are they in a parking garage in the film that's escaping me but because you have these low angles and you're looking up at them in the original one or in this one or they are they in docks when they when they have in this the, one they're they're docks in the original one they're in a parking garage. That's it. So it, the, in the in the parking garage is the one I think the low angle is you see them they're holding their breath there's tight shots on their faces they they start to turn and they say cool right and so in this they they start in docks and they move into um, this like decrepit bridge that's like falling apart uh, which is very perfect for for the setting like their lives are about to fall apart there's holes that if they would if they would just look look at where they're going they wouldn't they would not be falling down they wouldn't be walking and running right into danger like all of it was just so perfectly uh, perfectly expressed in the uh, in the set and in the expression that they had, Ansel, Ansel and Rift especially did an incredible job. That's my favorite moment uh, of this movie, of their relationship of, hey man, we're in this crew, we started this crew, but we should not lead this crew down this path. And the fight and the jumping over these pitfalls into uh, just the, the ocean, the river, it's just really, really uh, mind-blowing how every little detail uh, came together with that. The only frustration I have is that uh, this wasn't streaming. Um, I think you have to see this movie on the big screen, but I wanted to also watch it back just to be able to pinpoint all those specific things. Um, I think I'm like one step away from bringing a book light and a notebook into the theater cam. I really think I'm that close. (laughs) Sometimes it it feels necessary. (laughs) Doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Um, Sometimes I'm like, maybe we'll be the only ones in the theaters and I can take notes on my phone while I watch the movie because that's what I do at home. But yes. it's a great point. Cool is is such an interesting case study too because I believe that, and, and I could be wrong, like I said, never seen it on the stage, but I believe that in the original movie, they, well, I know this, in the original movie, the song Cool takes place after Rith and Bernardo's deaths, which is an interesting place to have it mm-hmm. because I think it takes place pre-Rumble 
in the stage show, and it takes place pre-Rumble here, which is the right place for it. I think it's one of the few mistakes with the original film is that they had cool afterwards, which feels, which tonally feels really weird following the deaths of Riff and Bernardo, which were really a big deal. But here, it was in the perfect spot, and the fact that they restaged it to be Tony talking to Riff, saying, play it cool with this gun, and sort of like appealing to his style and appealing to Riff's personality, like play it cool boy, you know, like you're a cool guy. Let's just chill out. Like let's don't don't get crazy. Let's let's keep this fun. Let's keep this cool. Let's not go too far. I thought that was a really fresh take and, and just really creative and and a smart way to say, you know, obviously Steven Spielberg loves the original work, but he's saying, okay, what are some things that I can take here and twist, which is what you should do in a remake. And I thought that was a great opportunity to do it. So I'm glad you called it out. Thank you. Okay. For me, um, my scene stealer is a bit more broad, but it's the production design because Holy smokes, the production design was so good. One thing that Steven Spielberg did, um, with, with the production design team was to expand the scope of this film. So it's outside, you know, the 1961 film, it's kind of like exterior, (laughs) New York streets, interior, gym, parking garage type of stuff. So you feel like you're in this really, you feel like you're watching a, a, a theater show, you know, like you're in this really confined space. And Steven Spielberg said, come on now, this is, this is New York City. This is, you know, the west side of Manhattan. Like, let's expand. Let's, let's, uh, you know, let's show the subways. Let's show them going uptown, downtown. Let's show them go, like, let's make the gym look like a gym. Let's just really lean into this being real world textures. We can do that now. And I thought that that was really fresh and the way that he did it, you know, really this whole movie, a lot of times when people see remake come across the ticker, they go, Oh, this is a money grab. And, and to be fair, like a lot of times it really is, but not this time, man, this, this legitimately was, this was an act of love, an act of wanting to preserve something that's old and that's dying. And, you know, like a classic musical theater is not a thing that is the same anywhere anymore. You know, like everything, right. you know, over over time, musicals go through revivals and things like that to preserve them. And that's what this felt like. It felt like a revival. It's like this story still matters and it does. It still matters and these characters matter. And so Steven Spielberg was like, it is up to me to keep this movie and this show and this story around and to do it in a way that's just really impactful and beautiful. And so the whole movie looks from a production design perspective like a dream because to him, like it is, it's this dreamscape, beautiful, you know, it's kind of like how you feel when you're in high school, everything, the emotions are just like to the nth degree, like high school romance, high school drama, like ultimately that's what this is, but the stakes are so high. And I just thought that uh, Steven Spielberg and his team captured that so well with the way they use color lighting, you know, the neon signs on the store, um, the way the shelves were stacked in docks, the way the gym looked that they were dancing in the colors of the costumes. Like, it was all so detailed, so rich and vibrant. Um, even before you talk about the cinematography, which was obviously a great mix of like paying homage to the original, but upgrading it for 2021. Uh, it was just the production itself was jaw dropping. And, and normally actually going into this, I was like looking ahead to some Oscar awards cause I'm a nerd. And normally if there's a Guillermo del Toro um, movie, 
coming, it's going to win best production design. But let me tell you, Spielberg and company, they have, they're going to have something to say (laughs) for that. And I have not seen nightmare alley yet, so we'll see, but they are going to have something to say about that because this was gorgeous and I loved it. Um, so really well done. Yeah, the, that's a that's a very good point. If I'm Guillermo, I'm like maybe I should just delay till 2022's <laughs> Oscars. It was it was, yeah. It's he's gonna have a, a fight on his hands for award that usually goes to his movies like Shape of Water, obviously Pan's Labyrinth, um, mm-hmm. the others. So let's get into the other side. Anything Spielberg could have done better, Kirk? I'm kicking it to you for director's shoes. What a very difficult thing to do to criticize Mr. Steven Spielberg. This seems like dirty. It seems dirty, like uh, like we have to like turn the lights out so no one can see us. Uh, like it's an underground, <laughs> it. <laughs> underground podcast against Steven Spielberg because the film was was really great. I think what this movie does that uh, I mentioned during Tick Tick Boom and it, it suffered from some of the same uh, pitfalls is that. For the front quarter of this movie, we had a similar situation where there is some empty noise. And empty noise in a musical should be used as intentional as intentionally as possible as another character. That silence should be used as a character because on stage, silence is so powerful. It's powerful on screen, but there's so much else going on that when you have people in a proscenium stage or a thrust or black box, whatever you want. When you have silence enter a space, it's so powerful, but on film, it has to be used. It's such a different way. And that's why translations from, from those types of medium are so important. And I feel like, again, the first quarter of this movie, some of the pacing, um, not that I was bored, but I wasn't into it and that they were getting us all the exposition, which they have to get through and it just took me out of it a little bit, a little bit. That's my director's shoes. I feel you. I, I totally get it and agree with that point. Um, for me, like, it's hard to explain, but it's it's similar in nature, but not exactly to yours. I would say that Spielberg took intent with the story to make sure that there is a reason behind what everybody's doing and that that reason is clear. And in some cases, I think it really enriches the story. This idea of like why the jets are the way that they are, you know, like what's happening to their neighborhood and what kind of families they come from and stuff that was really rich and made it, you know, made riff such a more layered and complex character than the original does. But at times like, and I know Spielberg as any filmmaker would and, and should, he really wanted to make his voice clear in this movie. He had very specific things that he wanted to say. And at times it was stuff like that, where even though sometimes the exposition went long, it was like, oh, this is really interesting context to add right at the front of the show. But at times it was like, okay, you know, this could have been done through subtext or this could have been done with one line instead of a whole set piece. You know, you could have added these little things and been a little bit more, uh, you know, finessed and, and you could have finessed it a little bit more so that it didn't affect the pacing because at times you get more dialogue about something that he's an idea that he's trying to flesh out that you're like, okay, I get it, but I got it like six long lines of dialogue ago. So you could have left it at that and, and kept the pacing unharmed, but instead you've sort of slowed things down now and the momentum shift is a little bit abrupt. Um, 
it's it's nitpicky. I mean, it's it's really it's quite slight. But there are times in the musical, I think some sometimes at the beginning and and definitely toward the end of like the second, like the transition from the second to third act, there is some space in there where you're like, okay, I get what you're trying to say, but like say less. I got it, and and trust us to get it, and then we won't have to hurt the pacing, and we can keep rolling through the story. So. Yes. Which I get. I mean, Spielberg's. I I totally get where he's coming from, and I'm glad that he has something to say. And I think that a lot of what he had to say was really fresh and good and, and beneficial to the film. Um, but at times, it was like, you know, I got it. You, you know, we're, we're there. So just keep going. Let's go. Let's go. This is good. Um, Next. Exactly. So that that's pretty much it. But that's it, Kirk. We're ready to put a bow on this one. Let's, let's do final thoughts and scores. I'm excited to see where you're at on this one. Oh my goodness. This is super tough because I feel like, um, my secret FBI agent is watching and I think he has a direct line to Steven Spielberg. And if he doesn't like my score enough, I'm going to be shot dead right now. <laughs> so, be. so there's a red out. dot on your forehead. I'll let you know. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, I thought you said there was. So this, this was absolutely a, a very, very, big undertaking um honestly when it was first announced i know that you and i exchanged some words about uh, fear that it would be uh spielberg potentially spielberg's biggest flop because the original is so fantastic um not only because it is uh it is just nostalgic because it's held that place and no one has remade it uh since the 1961 year but this this iconic film really we were worried about anyone touching it and the only person that could have done this is likely Mr. Steven Spielberg. It was really, really quite wonderful. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed the adaptation. Uh, as Cam mentioned, there were there were times where we got these uh, this, these character backgrounds. I love how you said it. How how Riff was built up to be a little bit better, a little bit more interesting, and it didn't get fully fleshed out. Like we didn't get enough of it, and maybe we got uh, just to the brink of it, and we, we were ready for more, which is also good at at his timely death, right? But I feel. I feel that it's definitely not in his lower tier of movies, which how do you even rank a Spielberg movie? But it is absolutely in his top 10 films. And he's made a lot of films. Today, Mr. Spielberg, I give you an 8.9 out of 10 kernels. Good score. Very good score. Um, Yeah. I'll take it one step further than what you said, Kirk, which is that I was ready to hate this film. In fact, I hated it before I even saw it because my stance, I've talked about it at length and I think I said it on the podcast. You don't remake a masterpiece. You just don't do it because there's no reason to. It's kind of like we were talking a few weeks ago about a foreign film that's really, really good. And then they bring it, you know, they try to do a U.S. version of it. I'm like, whoa, whoa, we like we got the good one. Leave it alone. Let's not touch it and ruin it. Um, and I very much felt that way, that West Side Story, after 60 years, should just be left in its beautiful slumber where I can watch it at my leisure and just enjoy it and feel all the feelings and, and, and really love it. But I was wrong, Kirk. I was wrong because... Boy, did I really enjoy this, and and I felt many of those same feelings amplified, or or really, it felt like I was, it felt like I was watching this musical for the first time all over again, and I found myself in the theater grinning like an idiot for the majority of the film, like literally <laughs> smiling ear to ear at just 
the care that he took and, and it was light when it needed to be light. It was heavy when it needed to be heavy. It was all this very beautiful dreamscape, this fantasy, you know, it, it was everything that this musical meant to me whenever I was younger growing up watching it with my sister. Um, and I could not get enough. I was like, this is, this is so, so great. And, and it wasn't perfect, but I actually, I like that. Like I, it wasn't perfect because Steven Spielberg was still taking chances. And I feel like with him, you know, he's obviously one of the all time greats household name for sure. One of the, you know, top three biggest directors in film history, no doubt. But over the past few years, it's like his name has sort of started to mean less when you see it as directed by Steven Spielberg. He's done a few things where it's like, you know, here's you know here's Spielberg's bag of tricks, which sucks to say, but it's true. Like he's done a few movies where you're like, yeah, it's good, but it's not like it's not new, it's not fresh, and that's what he was so good at for so long. But this totally flipped the script. I mean, he was really taking chances. He was doing things with immense attention to detail, immense intentionality. He was, you know, he had such a clear and specific vision for how this thing was meant to came out. And he got the movie that he wanted to make. I really do believe that. And so for me, it's a 9.2 out of 10. I loved it. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be up there for best picture this year. I, I was, amazed by it. I, I don't think he could have done much better than he did. So I'm giving it a 9.2 out of 10 for West side story. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Do the snapping. Um, yeah. So West side story that closes the book on that. It, like we said, didn't perform well in the box office and Kirk really like there's a ton of theories out there, which, you know, they range from, People don't like musicals. People are scared of the pandemic. Uh, it's old. It's 60 years old. I think all of those are probably true. But I think the one that people are overlooking that I think is probably the most obvious reason for it is they didn't spend money to advertise this film. No. You know, it's not that the campaign, you know, lots of people like to say, well, the marketing was bad. A lot of times we mean that they didn't spend. And that was definitely the case. I mean, how many ads did you see? for it on traditional media. How many ads did you see for it on social media? I saw pretty much nothing. When did you see the actors in this movie going on to the late night shows and yeah. making TikToks and none of that, none of that occurred. Like why aren't they front and center in, in those, um, in those very easy markets to get to your screens? You know, I think, th I, I don't know. I think they got a little cocky. I think they're like, well, it's West side story. People are, and it's Steven Spielberg. People are going to go see West side story. And that just frankly is not how that works. <laughs> and no. it doesn't matter what the name is. People are not just going to necessarily go see it. It's a really competitive landscape out there. And there are so, and I mean competing for people's attention. And TikTok is one of those things. You mentioned TikTok. Like there's TikTok, there's YouTube, there's all this other stuff. So you really do have to like make people feel like this is a cinema event, which this was, you know, like this, right. this was an event. I'm glad that I saw it in the theater I would be upset if I hadn't, um, but they really didn't spend on it. I think the, you know, we, we're not going to talk about the Ansel Elgort stuff because it's just not really what we do on this podcast. We don't really, mm -hmm. we don't really talk about allegations and stuff like that because we try to keep it light and happy, but I think that hurts it too. You know, I think that there, sure. there is definitely a group of people out there that are like, well, if that stuff's true, that's freaky. Um, and obviously encourage you to go out, read about it, form your own opinion. But <clears throat> you know, the, 
they could have done more for this movie and they didn't. And, and so ultimately I don't think they have anything but themselves <laughs> to blame. There are some exterior factors, but I think spend and they will come and they didn't do it. Right. Indeed. So that's West Side Story. Uh, it's one of the last big movies of 2021, but the year's not over and Christmas is a big movie holiday. A lot of these movies will be reviewing in the new year. Um, but you know, things like matrix things like, I don't know, the, this Kurt Warner movie that's coming out. There's a bunch of stuff that's coming out towards the end of the year that will be noteworthy, but we are for sure seeing Spider-Man no way home. And that's happening tomorrow. So stay tuned for our review of that. If Kirk and I have not, you know, started a, a new life doing new things because our lives have been so changed by <laughs> the film. I, I think that's that options on the table, right? Kirk. I think the multiverse is real. And when you go see the movie, you will be transported into a different universe. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah it's like so, clue where they have different endings in different yeah. theaters. Only this, you end up in a totally different timeline. Yeah. So you're going to get two new versions <laughs> of Kirk and Kim. <laughs> and those guys are going to suck. So apologies in advance, but um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. So we'll have that review coming. We've obviously got two two more episode recaps to do of Hawkeye before the end of the year. Very excited to wrap up that show. Oh my it's goodness. been so much fun so far. Have you started the episode? I have not. I watched the first 10 minutes. Did amazing things happen? It's so great. It's oh, so great. We'll Kurt, spoil it for a, you later. What a tease. So yeah, we'll we'll have to get into that. And then uh, Christmas movie bracket. I wanted to give you guys some times to like watch some Christmas movies, you know, to really, to really live with the source material. And then I'll drop it for you this weekend and we'll debate in the comments section about which movie is the greatest, but that's all coming as always. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode and for supporting this podcast. We appreciate it. We also appreciate rhetoric, the band playing the music you're hearing right now and our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs. We'll talk to you after no way home. See you then.